You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. Good morning and welcome back to Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'm your host, Carol Morgan, and I'd like to recognize Denim Marketing as our show sponsor. At Denim Marketing, we work to make sure your marketing is a comfortable fit. So give us a call if you're looking for a new marketing partner. Well, today we are going to talk about government regulations. They seem to plague the construction industry. Um, but as an industry, the local, state, and national home builders association advocates on behalf of home builders. Today, we're joined by Garrett Wiley. He's the government affairs director with the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association. Garrett, welcome to the show, and take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. And um, the, I guess this is my first interview um, on your show, and and I uh, look forward to. Uh, talking to your listeners, and I've I've listened to several podcasts in the past, so I look forward to sharing what we do as an association. So my name is Garrett Wiley. Um, I'm the Government Affairs Director for the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association. We have a staff of two, uh, myself and Katie Johnston, who is our Government Affairs Manager, um, who work on behalf of, of the local Greater Atlanta Home Builders. Um, I've been at the HBA for about two years. Um, I have a background in politics, uh, my first job out of college uh, was working for a state senator, a Georgia state senator, and then got involved with political campaigns after that, traveling. I worked in um, Louisiana on a, on a U.S. Senate campaign for a little bit, and then worked on a mayor's race in Jacksonville. After that, I went on to do economic development and government affairs for the Greater Hall Chamber of Commerce, and then went to Jackson EMC, who is also an HBA member, um, to serve in economic development and government affairs for them. Um, in the North Georgia area. So after that, did a little bit of uh, business development and for a commercial construction firm. And then about two years ago, made the transition back into government affairs uh, for the HBA. So it's been a blast. Uh, we have a great team and I love working with our members. What a fun background. And it definitely makes you very <laughs> uniquely qualified to do what you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So give our listeners an overview of the, you know, kind of the day-to-day of your job at Greater Atlanta Homebuilders Association. That is um, that's a, a great question um, because it is it is forever evolving and changing. Um, you know, obviously we we have so many events that we do, um, and and each staff member is is kind of dedicated to their own chapter or council. Um, as the government affairs team, we are tasked with handling our seven chapters, geographic chapters. A lot of those chapters coincide with government affairs because of our speakers that that we ask to join us, including planning and development officials as well as local elected. So that is a portion, but on the government affairs side, uh, Katie and I are consistently tracking local legislation and we are tasked with just local. As you mentioned, we do have a state association where our chief lobbyist is uh, Austin Hackney, who handles most of our state uh, regulation and legislation within the state capital. But our job is to track the 70 plus municipalities within the greater Atlanta area. We have nine counties that we serve, but in Georgia, uh, we love our cities, right? So uh, just in Gwinnett County, for example, those are 16 cities within that one county, um, each with five to six elected city council members um, with each of their own staff and planning departments. 
Um, and so as you can imagine, the it starts to add up as far as our relationships and our network expands. So our job is to build those relationships with the city and county staff. Um, that includes code enforcement, uh, planning and development. Sometimes the fire marshal is involved. And then really build that to where we don't have to lobby consistently an elected official to change a, for example, a unified development code. So um, our goal is relationships. We, you could call us lobbyists. Katie and I are both registered lobbyists within the state, but it is really to be that catalyst and that liaison between our members and the government departments that we work with. Well, that is a huge job. I guess I really didn't realize that you um, that you and Katie are managing the different county you know groups within the HBA too. But it makes perfect sense. So <laughs> it's a lot, and and as you know, uh, things are forever changing. We added the city of Mableton this this Ooh. year, um, uh-huh. and so uh, with the city of Mableton coming into Cobb County, they voted to become a city uh, just recently, and then all of a sudden they're going to have an election next week. Wow. Like six more council members and a new mayor. So, <laughs> so our our territory keeps expanding even when we don't ask for it. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Well, talk a little bit about some of the main priorities you're working on right now. So uh, several of them, and, and I'm sure our listeners are, are well aware of these, but the one that's got the most publicity um, is impact fees. Um, it seems like last year, most of our municipalities and our um, our counties started looking at increasing impact fees for multiple reasons. Um, obviously, infrastructure, a lot of them are claiming inflation and the cost of just doing business, which is which is true, um, but you can't increase an impact fee for that reason. But anyways, our main priority right now is the litigation that is ongoing between the Greater Atlanta Home Builders and Henry County government. Two years ago, actually, when I started, we started hearing rumblings of them increasing their impact fees. The conversations were ongoing. Um, they presented a number, a, a pretty much a 500% increase in fees for our builders per single family unit. And um, it kind of perked our ears up a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. So as, <laughs> as I am not a builder, and so I, um, and I did not create the law. So what we did is we tasked, um, we put together a task force of our builders that are currently doing business in Henry County to kind of look over and, and, and engage in these conversations with staff. But also, after realizing that they were going to move forward with these fees, we tasked and hired Dr. Chris Nelson, who was the original writer of the 1990 impact fee law uh, for the state of Georgia, who is now a professor at the University of Arizona, to basically go back and look at their process. And um, not only was this something to kind of keep track of what they were doing, um, but also a learning experience for us and what the law actually required and entailed for local governments. Um, So he produced a report, um, about a 200-page report, on their expenditures over the past and then also the process in which they went into getting this number for us, Um, determined that there were some deficiencies within that. Some of the processes were broken. Uh, We presented our findings to the commission in August, and uh, they still chose to move forward with the passing of that fee. So uh, it was not the original 500% increase that we expected, but they still passed it um, without going back to the drawing board and looking at this. So long story short, um, we engaged uh, with uh, Simon Bloom, an attorney um, who handles a lot of our our members' litigation with local governments and um, have, have filed within Henry County government to challenge the processes um, of the impact fee. So that is currently ongoing. This is 
fairly recent, started at the beginning of 2023, um, and we'll continue to keep our members updated as, as we go through the process. So that's just one thing. I just wanted to give everyone an update on that. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because, you know, all these counties want more affordable housing, yet the things they're doing are counterintuitive to having affordable housing, like all these counties implementing moratoriums. So, you know, they may look at it as, you know, my moratorium doesn't really affect the cost of the home, but it does because when development takes two more years and somebody's sitting on all those carry costs for the lots, that's all going to get passed down to the homeowner, right? Absolutely. Yes. And and that's... to your point, that's that's another one that we're yeah. tracking. Also, the code changes as well as design standards, the lot size changes that other counties mm-hmm. and cities are requiring. So it's a huge list. Good grief! Well, talk a little bit more about moratoriums and why so many counties are implementing those. So we've heard it all. Um, we've heard multiple reasons as to why these are coming, and and the unfortunate part of this is that they happen without any warning, um, and it's it is usually on purpose. For example, Henry County, just, you know, as soon as this litigation started, they put it on the agenda the day of and then put an immediate moratorium on townhomes and multifamily development without telling any of us, without having any public notice, any of that. So we've heard a few reasons why Um, the most most of the time we hear infrastructure needs uh, preparing for infrastructure. Right. So a lot of our builders are coming into rural areas, say, Austell. And I'm not saying any of these have moratoriums now, but. A lot of the rural areas of uh, populated counties, but the infrastructure just hasn't been pushed into those areas. Holly Springs, maybe um, parts of Rockdale County. Um, we're seeing a lot of development happen here, and a lot of them just haven't prepared for the infrastructure over the past few decades. We're also hearing that they're changing some of the development code. And while they're changing this development code, they want all building residential construction to stop, right? So it will prevent other builders from coming in and taking advantage of code that might be loose in their eyes. <laughs> Within the development code, we're seeing a lot of them address build to rent housing. Mm-hmm. And so the, they'll put the moratorium in, they'll write the language of whichever mechanism they want to use, whether that be through a zoning, whether that be through a full-blown ban, whether it be through uh, a percentage or applying for a conditional use permit, it is across the board, but that is a lot of why we're seeing the moratoriums and political reasons, really. I mean, um, you're seeing a lot of economic development, large economic development projects move into rural areas. And they, the commissioners have obviously allowed these projects to come in. And so a defense mechanism for them is to say, well, whoa, 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 we're stopping down development of residential properties. We just needed the jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, as we know, these go hand in hand. And for an example, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was telling, I was telling actually an AJC reporter this the other day, the three largest projects in the state of Georgia for the past couple of years, you have um, the battery plant in Jackson County, SK Battery. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Rivian, right? And in, in mm-hmm. the Covington, Newton County, Rockdale County area, and Hyundai in Bryan County. All three counties, Newton, Jackson, and Bryan, implemented one-year residential construction moratoriums after announcing. Yeah, so then where does anyone live? Exactly. That's over 10,000 jobs. Over 10,000 jobs and not a home for them, a new home for them to live in. 
And especially right. an affordable home. Well, and I was going to say, and the affordability certainly plays into it because we see some of the same craziness up here in Bartow County, which, you know, isn't one of your nine counties, I don't believe. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, huge uh, factories and distribution centers coming in and all this job growth, but nowhere they can afford to live. Exactly. So, And, and you know, clearly the tax base um, isn't enough for local elected officials to get excited about residential construction because right. otherwise it, it would happen and you know in addition to that multifamily is, is just as much of a victim as well in in places like banks and in, in jackson county at the 85 corridor so it is it's a lot um as you mentioned it's very contradictory from what we hear them saying mm-hmm. um, to us regarding affordable housing and regarding housing inventory um it's just it's gotten very political so yeah lots of reasons but mostly political and um and nimbyism <laughs> right well talk a little bit about um lot size you mentioned lot size earlier are we seeing that go down are we seeing that go up you know what are they what are they fighting for there requirements on uh, minimum lot size mm-hmm. so um i would venture to say this is a socioeconomic issue um as soon as you change the lot size you change the value of the home as as our members know Right in Newton County, passed this without sending us any prior notice. A two-acre lot minimum. Wow! It might it might have been a one and a half. Don't quote me on that. Still huge. It is huge. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, any neighborhood that we see, it it just is. I mean, that immediately puts it into the half a million dollar range. I don't care what house you put it on. Oh yeah. Um, So it is a. um, It's a tough situation, and, and really, you know, they claim safety. They claim you know, all types of different reasons as to why they want this. But in reality, it's they don't want a half acre um, slab home in their community and they don't want a new community at all. And so I know that's a very dramatic way of saying that, but it's, you know, we can't come up with any other reason as to why these rules and regulations keep getting slapped on our developers and local communities. And in reality, all it's hurting is the existing taxpayers mm. that are already there. And so, you know, it's it's a battle and um, something that I think that will be addressed in this upcoming state legislation that we're seeing in the 2023 session. That's exciting. And I've got a few other things I want to ask you before we get to that. So sure. talk about the revised Atlanta tree ordinance. I know that the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association worked really hard on that. Did you all get some small wins there or how did that work out? <laughs> we did. We did. Um, gosh, Katie and I have been attending these roundtable meetings with Several of our of our trade partners, uh, including the Apartment Association, the Council for Quality Growth, um, Engineers Association, a lot of what we call MARTAG, we kind of dubbed ourselves the Metro Atlanta Real Estate Trade Group, uh, which is not official, but we <laughs> all communicate with each other often on, especially the Realtors Association, we work heavily with them. We have gone back and forth on what a buildable area is, um, how the trees affect the cost of the home, at what you know, what's the breaking point of the importance of a tree and the environment to affordable housing? I think that is the ultimate question um, to everyone uh, within the the metro Atlanta community of, you know, where is, who owns the lot, right? Does the tree own the lot or does the developer own the lot or the property own it, right? So earlier this year, um, and this will probably come back in 2023, we actually know it will, um, recompense fees. So for every tree that's torn down, 
the developer must pay an amount. I think right now it's around $400 a tree into what we call a tree trust fund within the city of Atlanta. The trust fund has what we've been told almost $10 million in it dedicated to replanting trees in the city of Atlanta. We haven't quite found out where they plant those trees, um, (laughs) but the money's there. And so um, the proposal was to double, almost double that just due to, um, first off, the cost of a new tree right? and to plant, right? Just inflation. I mean, everyone knows that's gone up just as much as anything else is landscaping and and tree planting and everything that goes with it. So we understood that argument. Um, But our argument back to them was, first off, what are we doing with the money we have, you have, sitting in the coffers of replanting? And second, is now really the right time in this housing affordability crisis that we increase this and not only, you know, and in addition to everything else, add that tree cost into the cost of a new home or even a renovated home, which we see in the city of Atlanta more than anything else. And the infill and the remodels and everything that goes with that. If you add, you know, 200 feet on your house, that might require a tree. Is it worth it? Right. So. All of those things went into that. We were able to lobby our, our way into shutting that down. Um, I think there are many more items down the road that we're going to have to battle. Um, I think that we have a, um, a a publicity campaign that that really needs to get ramped up. I know the tree advocates have already started writing their op-eds in the AJC on you know why we need this and why the developers are so greedy. All of those great things. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, and, and and don't get me wrong. Look, I think everybody enjoys trees and landscaping in their in their yard. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. More than anybody else. I mean, that sells a home, right? Is is mm-hmm. great trees and great canopy, but at what cost, right? So it needs to be sensible. It needs to be fair, um, and it needs to be on a case by case basis without one broad stroke. Of legislation. Right. Well, you know, and then again, I go back to, again, have they taken a look at all this commercial development where they wipe out acres and acres and acres and acres and acres of trees and put giant yeah. distribution centers in and, you know, plant 20 trees back where there used to be thousands. So they don't exactly. want to get me started on that point because it's a little bit of a, you know, what do they say? Pot, kettle, kettle pot. Um, yes. So it's just a little frustrating. <laughs> it is. Crafting the perfect marketing strategy is like constructing the perfect pair of jeans. You need all the right components and expertise. Unlike trying on a dressing room full of jeans, Denim Marketing makes the process painless and easy. Denim Marketing is the market leader in creating quality original content for home builders, developers, remodelers, and others in the industry. Call 770-383-3360 or email carol at denimmarketing.com to find out how Denim Marketing can be a comfortable fit for your social media, public relations, marketing campaigns, email marketing, blogs, and other marketing needs. Well, housing affordability seems to be, you know, kind of the underlying theme for the year, and especially as it relates to advocacy, because, you know, we want everybody to be able to buy a house. And good grief, we'd love to be able to build, you know, more homes in the 300s in Atlanta, you know, much less the high (laughs) 200s, right? Um, Talk a little bit about what you're doing to address this issue. Yeah, gosh. I mean, where do you go where you don't hear housing affordability? It is, it's our priority, right? And, And I think on the government affairs side and and the stance of the greater Atlanta home builders is we can solve this very quickly within local governments. 
and how these processes and how long it takes for permitting and inspections in some of our jurisdictions. I think the main thing that a builder will tell you is what costs the most in developing and building a new home is the timing and the pushback and the back and forth and the inspections and and really the lack of communication sometimes not through the fault of these local jurisdictions because of turnover right, Pro- right. You know, a lot of a lot of of the economy and the job market that are out of our control but timing is the main thing that we are consistently hearing and so um, anything that we can do just within our association as far as setting up roundtable discussions between our builders, developers, and planning staff is what we do. Um, we consistently meet with our big counties that we that we hear a lot about. DeKalb County has always been at the top of that list, and I think they would tell you the same thing if, if you were to ask them um, about some of the struggles that they've had with permitting and process throughout the years. This week, we sat down with them. Um, they have a new interim planning director and sat down with them across the room and said, okay, how can we fix a lot of these bottlenecks that we're dealing with? What is it a software issue? Is it something that that is, you know, really tying up the city or the county staff? Um, what are the builders doing that's wrong? Because God forbid they mess up, right? Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's the communication. Um, and that we think it's very simple to knock down the cost of a home just through cooperations with local government and the developer. So that's one thing. Um, obviously, you know, the design standards <laughs> are something that we're continuously battling. Um, all of these things that are going to, I keep mentioning the state legislation because it really is a catch-all of a lot of these issues that the governor is, is very passionate about addressing in this 2023 session. So, um, you know, I, I hate to kind of stop it at that, but we, we've almost, you know, as a local HBA, almost, you know, really shut down any initiatives until we hear back on what's going to happen with the state legislation as it hits the, the House of Representatives and the state Senate. Yeah, well, we'll talk. That's a good transition into that. Talk a little bit about government. This is Governor Kemp's Rural Housing Fund, right? The Rural Workforce Housing Fund. So two separate items. So okay. one one Kemp is addressing head on himself, right? Okay. So he's he's announced it as a state in his state of the state, um, the rural housing fund. Okay. Um, and then on the other side, we are seeing several bills and pieces of legislation come from the Senate and House with a state rep out of the Macon area um, who is addressing a lot of this. I think I just saw a recent impact fee bill come out from another state senator or state rep. So those are all independent initiatives of what the governor wants, but can't be the one to introduce the legislation. So using the the power that he has within the state funding, um, he has introduced the Rural Workforce Housing Fund. Um, everyone wonders where that money comes from. I did a little digging. I had no idea um, that the $35.7 million that came from this proposal actually comes out of a settlement in 2000 with tobacco companies over health cost of smoking related illnesses. Wow. <laughs> so this money in perpetuity, this is the craziest thing in perpetuity is paid to um, most states in the United States um, for, from the tobacco companies huh. for health related issues associated with smoking. Well, okay. So this is a, this is a, just a, a pot of money that just continues to build up and will forever build up. 
apparently the the cigarette lobby didn't do their job on that one because it will uh, <laughs> that money will forever be drained from those accounts wow. um, for forever. So that's how this is being funded, and it's just another mechanism that goes to the states that doesn't require federal grants or federal funding. So um, just a little bit about the initiative. Um, it's going to be paid for with that money. Um, the arm that is going to handle th- where this money is directed is the um, the Department of Community Affairs. Oh, okay. Which deal with most of the counties and cities outside of the metro Atlanta area. So to apply for this funding, I don't believe any of our areas that we serve um, will be eligible for this funding. Mm, okay. But the DCA, which knows and and has the relationships with these rural counties and cities basically can apply through their department. The cities can apply for a grant, if you will. I guess you could call it a grant um, with the DCA, submit a project or any type of renovation or conversion of an existing property to them and ask for funding to convert it. I think, for example, I saw a, a downtown, and as if you've driven through rural Georgia in the past 15 years, 20 years, you've seen the, the just dilapidated buildings in, in small rural towns. A lot of them and a lot of the state is saying, okay, let's revive this thing. You need rooftops. Let's take that second level of the old general store and that, that entire strip and uh, convert it into multifamily housing. Yep. And and strip it and renovate it. And as soon as you put residents downtown, then the commercial will follow, right? That diner yep. will start opening Seeing up. Seeing some again. of that happen in Macon, it's really pretty cool. It's it's awesome. And that's yeah. the thing is the funding is not taxpayer funding, really. It's it's coming out of this <laughs> this grant. And I'm sure down the road, if this is a success, we will probably start trying to pull out of out of different pots. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's trying to get creative and they're allowing the cities to dictate what areas are, are the most needed and then can apply into that, into that fund. So it's a really cool idea. Um, I'm sure there's lots of nuts and bolts that are going to go into, you know, truly making a difference in it. But I think the main reason for this was due to Kemp and his economic development team attracting these great jobs and manufacturing, true manufacturing jobs to these rural areas, but there's no place to live. Right. And so how can we, how can we get this done quickly and efficiently and, cre- you know, with a creative approach? I love it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It right? fantastic to me. I can't wait to see the implementation, you know? I know. I know. Just creative things, right. That, that we wouldn't think about and tapping into a pot of money that I certainly didn't know about. <laughs> little secret pot of gold, huh? Mm-hmm. Now, well, what else is on the horizon? I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. Is there more? <laughs> well, you, you know, it's, um, again, I've, I've been wanting to get to the state legislation. It, it's, um, is the most important to me, and I guess to the, to the home building industry in a very long time. I think in 2019, we did have a residential design standard bill um, that failed in our advocacy efforts. Um, this one is more of a catch-all of items that Kemp has to ask the building community um, throughout the past year via a House study committee to report on. And it all started with the build-to-rent legislation that was mm-hmm. introduced last year, which which unfortunately did not go through. What we're going to see in this upcoming session, and I believe the legislation is released, uh, gosh, the second month of, of this session, I want to say it's already out, but Two different bills, 
The first bill will address affordable housing and the reasons that we've presented as reasons why the cost of the home goes up, mm-hmm. um, which include the lot size minimum that we discussed, design standards. For example, local governments putting requirements on four-sided brick or what they want the aesthetic of the house to look like. You're going to see moratoriums and the length in which they are implemented. For us, I, the reason why, tell us why, right? If you're going to do something productive, do it and then come back and let's all you know move forward together. But you know, the whole putting in implementing a moratorium without notice to the community, putting it in without a true reason why, if you are going to say why, we need hard facts of why it's happening. All of those things are going to go into this bill. I'm trying to think what else. Gosh, it's a multitude of, of items that are only fair. I think, you know, when they do make a development code change, they follow the same process that our members and our developers go through for rezoning as far as number of days required, number of public hearings, all of those things we are asking of local governments to be transparent about. So this is going to, it's going to be a lot. I'm sure it's a, it's a big bill um, and it's going to be debated over time, but the governor is adamant about this. He's asked his floor leaders to push this along. He's frustrated with local governments um, hindering the the construction and home building industry. So we're going to see some progress with that. The second bill will be our build to rent bill. As I mentioned, we saw it last year. Um, it was very straightforward. It essentially put a ban on local communities banning build to rent developments. We see a lot of different mechanisms that communities are are addressing the build to rent communities, uh, whether that be through a zoning. Um, such as what uh, Cherokee County did that kind of started this whole trend. We see, you know, Forsyth County just passing their conditional use permit, essentially saying that you must have an HOA for any neighborhood with three or more homes. Wow. <laughs> so that, which is essentially a ban. Um, you know, all of these mechanisms that don't say you can't have this, but really are saying that uh, yeah, make it yeah. impossible. So, that's going to be a little more of a challenge. Um, I think our messaging is the most important um, as an industry to a lot of these legislators of, okay, this build to rent community is not what you're thinking. It's not somebody coming in and buying a block of 1960s ranch homes. These are brand new builds with landscaping teams that come out once a week. They all mow on one day. If your um, sink breaks, you call the maintenance man. That's there. He'll come over, and if he can't fix it, somebody else will fix it. You know, it's it's like living in an apartment, um, right. in a well maintained apartment at that. So I think you know a lot of advocacy and communication to our electeds is going to be the most important for telling them this, and and we've already started down that path of, of engaging with them. Well, you know, you think about it, and you think about these build for rent communities, and they're not renting that house just once. They have to rent <laughs> it's that an house. Asset. Every single year. So if they don't take care of that house or heaven forbid, they don't take care of an entire neighborhood of those houses, they're not going to have people that pay the rents they demand. And you look at the rental profile of who's choosing to rent. You know, these are people that don't have to rent. These are people who've decided to sell their houses and, you know, put some of that money in the bank and that they just want to rent. They don't want to have to take care of a yard, but they want a yard still. It's just a whole different demographic in a lot of aspects. And um, most people don't see that. 
That's that is you know the messaging that that I choose to use um, is anecdotal, right? My friends who have a newborn baby, or both have great jobs, have certainly enough to buy a house, but their family doesn't live here. Their family lives in Texas, right? And they don't know when they're going to go back. They might eventually need some help with their kids at some point and want to mm-hmm. go back and see the grandparents. They've got plenty of money to get a new house, but they want a brand new one, and they definitely need a backyard for their two golden doodles, and you know. All of those things, and they're paying a high rent just to live there, and they are active members of their community. And so it's like these are not transient no. uh, individuals and families that are moving here. They are you know, part of the community just like anybody else. So it's telling that story and, and you know, making it personal to our elected officials that this is just another housing option. We're not right. taking away the American dream. This is just another option for people that don't want to purchase a home. Correct. Yeah, it's the um, <laughs> it's the renters by choice. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think you and I could talk about all this stuff all day long, but unfortunately, <laughs> we're running low on time. So um, let our listeners know how they can get more information on you, on the advocacy efforts, you know, on Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association. Where can they go? Sure. So um, our website is atlantahomebuilders.com. That's simple. On the website, you can find all of our events. I think things are starting to heat up. You can usually find at least one event on the calendar every week. I think we counted the other day. There's over 100 events throughout the year um, with just chapters and councils that we host. Um, So you can always find Katie and I there. You can always find Corey, our executive officer, who will give you an update on what's going on with us on on the advocacy efforts. We know that's why our builders join the HBA. Um, is to be advocated for. We are consistently communicating through our builder bulletins. Um, if you'd like to be on that email list, my email address is gwiley at atlantahba.com. I'm happy to share that um, and my number with anybody that has any questions on this. Um, our main line is 770-938-9900. And then uh, to follow us on social media, you can check Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Good stuff. Well, now everybody knows how to reach you. So with that, that's a wrap for this week's Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'd like to thank Garrett Wiley with the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association for joining me in studio today for a lively conversation. Um, on behalf of today's show sponsor, Jenna Marketing, I'm your host, Carol Morgan. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, please go over to iTunes and give us a positive rating and review. If you'd like to listen to more of these conversations and subscribe for free on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, then contact me at carol at denimmarketing.com and let me know what you'd like to talk about. Um, With that, thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you right here again next week. Today's episode was made possible by Denim Marketing, the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite real estate blog and source for real estate news, trends, new home communities, model homes, builders, and more. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio, or to inquire about being a guest, 
contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your podcast or iTunes app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show.